Welcome everyone to Time for the Soul, the podcast where we talk about life, the universe, and our Lord Jesus Christ. And I have here in studio with me, Ruth and Leanna. Hey guys, we're Hello. still here. And we have with us some very special guests. We have Andrew and Rebecca Valian. Welcome, Andrew and Rebecca. Thank you guys. It's a Thank pleasure you. to be here. Yeah, it is so nice to have you guys with us. And we're so happy that you guys are joining us on this lovely February evening just to sit and talk and see what the Lord has in store for us. I guess for some background, we've been friends with the both of you guys for a while now. I feel like we've known each other a few years. After COVID though, right? This is after mm-hmm. COVID. During COVID, yeah. after COVID, mm-hmm. Zoom had some... Around 2020. <laughs> or 2020, so. yeah. COVID did well for some people. <laughs> yes, yes. I feel we like I had a lot of... friends during COVID. COVID the ashes. COVID a lot. <laughs> yes. We always want to have Andrew on the podcast. I think one of the things we all admire about you is I feel like you very much have a heart of a revivalist. I think I remember noticing this, that, you know, when you'd go and meet with people, people always felt like on fire to read the Bible more, to pray more. And it was always something that was very encouraging to see. And I know that whoever listens to this podcast is probably going to walk away, probably believing that same thing, probably having that same heart, just having a more love for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And Rebecca as well. I just love that we're going to be able to sit down and have this conversation with the two of you guys. But, you know, before we get into it, I just want to know, and I want the rest of the audience to kind of hear, how did you come to the Lord? How did this fire come into your heart? Where did it all start? And how did it get to the point that it's at? Yeah, first off, it's an honor to be here, ladies. We go we go way, way back. So this is exciting, I guess. I mean, when you guys started launching the podcast, I was really excited for you guys too, because you're reaching a lot of people. And if you're listening to this, it has nothing to do with my words or Rebecca's words or anyone else's. But the Spirit of God does not get stopped by frequency. He does not get stopped by mileage. He does not get stopped by continent. So even through these words that we speak, the Word of God will not turn back void. Amen. So we're excited to be here. And yeah, a little bit of context, background. Um, some of you know me, some of you don't. My name is Andrew, also known as Andrews, also known as Andre. <laughs> Different words. I have many names, but child of God, servant of God is the main one, I guess. But yeah, I grew up in a Christian home, like most people. Didn't really know the Lord, didn't really walk with the Lord, kind of hung out with the bad crew when I was younger, uh, doing prosti with them, running away from church and whatnot. But at the age of 17, I encountered the Lord actually through jealousy, uh, spiritual jealousy. A friend of mine was baptized with the Holy Spirit, and I was thinking, well, if God touched this guy, then mm-hmm. God can touch me. So I, I sought the Lord the next day at a prayer night. I was uh, baptized with the Holy Spirit 17. And my life's been a journey ever since then. So people who claim and think the Spirit of God is still not moving today and say it doesn't matter to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I, I implore you to turn around and believe in the power of the Holy Ghost that a touch of God and a transformation through the Holy Spirit will transform your life. And I don't say that lightly. But yeah, then I started walking with the Lord closer I got to know him better. God used to start manifesting himself through different ways in my life. But at the time, again, still naive, still young, uh, figuring out what life is. I was not really committed to a certain church at the time. Church I was part of was actually going through a split. I was actually in a relationship at the time, too. Again, just uh, little kid issues, I guess, when you're talking about a relationship at 17, 18 years old. It's like the perfect storm for like (laughs) something to happen. (laughs) But then that's what happens when you're not founded in the Lord. Um, the church split. Everything I knew about my friends and family at the time, people I grew up with, we all split up, went through a breakup at the same time, and started blaming and questioning God for a lot of things at that moment and didn't know which way was left or right. So my foundation was built on sand. 
at that time. So in my uh, projection and idea, I guess it was to blame God for mistakes, to put him behind me and to try to just figure out life on my own. And from there, I started kind of a downhill spiral, I guess, and um, ended up falling away from the Lord. If you don't believe you can fall away from the Lord, read Hebrews. You'll get blown away by a few chapters that say some really heavy things there. Uh, but fell away from, from the faith by choice and chose not to follow God anymore. Uh, but through that process, God's sovereignty, His goodness, His love chased me down and um, got to the point and I can be vulnerable here, so I'm just going to be open. But it got to the point where I was hanging out with a lot of wrong people, doing a lot of drugs, smoking and drinking a lot, partying a lot. And I'm not ashamed of my testimony. First Timothy chapter 1, Paul digs pretty deep into his testimony. If you haven't read it, go read it. He'll talk about how he was the worst of the worst sinners, but God transformed his life to be an example to the worst sinners, to have hope and salvation through Christ. So I got to a point where I, I was actually at a rave one night hitting rock bottom. You don't realize you're in rock bottom until you hit rock bottom. You don't realize how far you get until you look back to see where you came from. But I, I knew the devil was after my life. I actually started hearing his voice telling me he wanted to take my life. And you will hear, hear the voice of whatever you're obedient to. Yeah. So as I'm living for myself, living for the world, I can hear this voice saying, I'm going to take your life tonight. And uh, those who are even dabbling in drugs, I, I commend you in the name of Jesus Christ to turn around and give your life to him. Everything else is counterfeit in comparison to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. He is a fake. The devil is a liar. And he thinks he can make you feel good, but he will make you feel miserable. Mm-hmm. Just a little side note. At that rave, I remember hitting rock bottom, looking back at my life and thinking, how was I filled with the Holy Spirit? And now I'm here, probably to the point of overdose, feeling all these drugs in my life and seeing how messed up I am. And I was thinking, how did I get to this place? And I remember at that rave in front of 60,000 people crying out to God, not ashamed, hit rock bottom and was vulnerable with him and, and decided, God, I like the prodigal son, if you're real and you love me, take me back into your home. Just for you guys who are, who are listening to this and who feel like maybe you've walked away too far from God, I guarantee you have not. The Spirit is still pulling you in. He's not teasing you. Mm. The Spirit of God, if you think you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, you have not. If He's yeah. still calling you, God doesn't call you just so He can not forgive you and yeah. tease you. Uh, and I got to the point where I was walking around this place all night and singing a song because I didn't know what else to do. And the song that came to my mind was, There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Amen. And that night, I can I can truthfully say that I was set free. Obviously, the, the, the ride was hard afterward and Getting rid of some things and committing to the Lord afterward was, was still hard, but he opened up a door for me to get plugged into Emmanuel Church in Anaheim, California, uh, the greatest state in the United States, <laughs> oh the greatest place in America. <laughs> but, you know, for all, all my love so- SoCalers, I, uh, I, I do love that place, and I believe God has a special calling mm-hmm. for it. Uh, but ended up back at Emmanuel Church where I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, and the process began where I actually was a, a sound technician <laughs> at church. For, I don't know, three years. And by sound technician, I, I mean learning how to press mute and unmute. <laughs> and volume up, volume down. Getting yelled at by people for putting music too loud. And, uh, but in that time, I didn't know it was a, a preparation with the sheep like David. It's a moment where the Lord just wanted mm-hmm. to really sanctify me and take some things out of me that, you know, weren't from him. Um, that's coming on seven years now, next month, that I've been walking again with the Lord. And I'll tell you right now, if you're bored... And walking with the Lord, you're probably not doing it right. Amen. Um, I made fun of Michigan for a very long time. <laughs> now I'm a, a resident here with my wife. Praise and the Lord. We, we love it. Bethesda is a beautiful church. We thank you for everyone who's been hospitable to us. But I'll tell you this. It's better to be 
in a freezing cold place, miserable like Michigan, in the Lord's will, than to be on a beach in Florida without the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. But long story short, the Lord the Lord pulled me back, and it's been a constant journey growing. I want to preface that anything we do talk about today, by no means am I saying that we've made it, I've made it, that I've figured it out. I will continue to grow and learn things with the Lord until I stand before Him. And it's like Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, not that I've already achieved it, but I don't look at what's behind me. I press on to what lies ahead, and I keep marching forward. And I think we all need to have that mindset with whatever we're talking about today. But just to preface as well, when I when I did get saved, and maybe a lot of you can relate with this, I didn't have friends at the time because all my friends were in the world. So I started fresh and I, I actually my best friends for the first few years at church were fifty to seventy year old women in the prayer room. And I just sought the Lord's face. I, I didn't care who was looking, I didn't care what age, what barrier, what gender. If you are desperate for God, you will not care about the barriers in the way. You will destroy all that to get to his face. And as I grew in the Lord and as he opened up doors for preaching, for ministry, for youth ministry, the busyness and in a sense, the jokes and distraction of the enemy thinking that if you're busy in ministry, you've made it. It is a lie. Yeah. You need to come back to the prayer closet and to the prayer room. And that's where your power anointing will stem from intimacy with the father. If you don't have intimacy, you're joking yourself. And that's something we'll, we'll dive into later. Yeah. But as I got deeper into ministry, I, I swayed away from prayer, not because I thought I was good enough, but I got busy. And recently, I guess in the last, I would say three months, God has brought me back to a place of intimate prayer, of deep prayer, and reminding me where my roots stem from. And not just me, but if you look throughout scripture, there's no successful man or woman in ministry who did not have intimacy with the Lord in prayer. Um, so that's kind of my background. If you want to know more, we can get deeper into it. I was going to just ask Rebecca, because I think you have maybe like a little bit of a different story than he does, but... A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Very, very different. Yeah. Feel free to, to share whatever yeah. whatever part of it you want to uh, Well, I have into. kind of the more, not stereotypical, but I have the more like church kid background. Um, very much unseen battle, I would say. My time of coming to the Lord was like 13, 14, Mm -hmm. in the terrible teens, I would say, in middle school. Um, I came from a family that went to church. We, I grew up at church in Philadelphia, at Philadelphia Church in Portland. And I, not that my parents were strict because they, they were, I would say, looking back, they were pretty much in the middle. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't let us do whatever we want, but they also weren't the most strict out there. I really respect them for how they raised us. But when I came to the teens, I just, you know, any sort of any sort of guidance from parents was like a threat to me. And mm. I felt like it was unfair, you know, like I, mom, dad, I have these friends. Why won't you let me do this, do that? And they weren't necessarily bad things, but it started very small. Um, and, you know, honestly, the devil used against um, me was pinning my parents against me. Mm. And I mm. thought that my parents were the enemy and the way that I... I couldn't live my life adequately or I couldn't do the things that I wanted. Not that they were bad, but I couldn't do what I wanted because of my parents. And slowly, slowly this turned into this life of resentment as a, a little teen, like 13, 12, 13 years old. And that just built and turned into this really ugly thing. And this was, a, I would say, a couple of years, just my whole like middle school time. And it got to the point, fast forward to the point where I was just... 
I was in church this whole time. Like I was serving. I was in youth choir. I don't even remember what I was in at the time. But every time I would go to church or every time I was a part of a church activity or my parents, like my dad was such a devote prayer night man and he would take us with him and it would just make my blood boil Mm. like I I, it would get worse every time I had to go to an event having to do with what my parents wanted you know it got to a point where obviously I knew I needed help I knew I needed the Lord but I I was so bitter and so angry inside that I couldn't even I couldn't even fix things I couldn't you know I was angry at my parents but I didn't even have a reason for I was angry at them and Um, It brought me to a place of just complete division from the Lord, whether I wanted it or not. And this went on for a very long time. And even if you're young, the thing that I think we're so deceived by is you don't have to be an adult in your, you know, 18 and up in order to have real life crisis or separation from the Lord. That can happen when you're at 10, 11, 12. Like you still have those same spiritual battles and it's not by any means something to downplay um it's very serious because that's when you start making decisions for yourself and your soul so yeah i it came to a point where i i wanted to come back to the lord and i wanted to let go of all this resentment and bitterness but i just didn't know how and i didn't see an end out of it and i was just so like disperat and I remember I went to a prayer night with my dad and my mom, and I didn't want to go, obviously. Um, But it was a time where I was just so needy, and I I was so angry that I couldn't even speak. Like, I I think it was probably like a year and a half where I minimally spoke to my parents. But I was just baseline so quiet that... They, that was kind of like my baseline, like that's just how Rebecca is, but it was actually my bitterness that mm. kept me so silent. And so when I went to this prayer night, I was so, so angry. I couldn't even speak out loud. Like I could, I could not physically like pray to the Lord. So I prayed in my head, like, Lord, if you want to save me, if you can somehow fix me, tell me. And, um, and that was a big step for me, knowing that I hated prayer nights. So, like, that was my surrender to the Lord. And he met me there in that little angry self of mine. <laughs> and the prophet that was there, he had a word for me. It's something along the lines of, I don't remember exactly what it was, but something along the lines of, do you not know that I love you? And mm. I've forgotten everything that you did. And I've forgotten your past, but you need to forget it. And that's mm. not you anymore. And... Ever since then, like it, God truly gave me like a new heart that night and gave me a new spirit. And I just blossomed into a different Rebecca. Praise God. And like, he really gave me a different personality. Like I turned into a more, um, you know, like lively, definitely more extroverted person than I was before. (laughs) Um, and ever since then, like, it's just been an adventure. Definitely what started in a prayer night, which was very Mm -hmm. funny. It's interesting. You have... You guys both have the story of the prodigal son, but Rebecca's kind of like the older brother who's the church kid who stays good. But, you know, the the root of bitterness comes in and hardens the heart. And then Andrew has the story of the prodigal who completely leaves and then comes back home. It's beautiful how God both brought you guys to a place of surrender to him, even though in the different moments and the different spaces that you guys were in. That is really interesting to Mm -hmm. hear. So before we just transition from testimonies, I would ask, I guess for the both of you, mm-hmm. what did that process of sanctification look like? Because we, uh, both of you seem to have had moments where it was, okay, this is where I came to the Lord. What did the process afterwards look like for you guys as God is working and sanctifying mm-hmm. you? Or did the desires 
and like for you Rebecca the bitterness or for you Andrew the desires for drugs and alcohol did they completely just go away or did you have to work through them in Christ I think for me it I would I'd say it's both definitely I would say the root of bitterness just completely came out and that anger it was no longer a part of my identity but there were some certain things where I had to pinpoint and I had to say you know like it says like you have to put to death your flesh yeah that there is some degree of your action put put into practice and I guess an example for me was when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit I was still dealing with this okay you know I'm not blaming my parents I'm not I'm not faulting them for anything but I I still had to train my mind to not look at them that way Mm. anymore and so when it came to prayer nights or Stadowinsa I still had this hesitance to go and be a part of it because I knew that was the place that they had encouraged us to go to. And I had to tell myself, like, no, that's not right. This is a good thing. I am going to go, and I'm going to go out of my own volition. And I'm going to go, even if... Because when I was separated from the Lord, I hated giving my parents the satisfaction of them knowing that I was doing something good. So I had to, like, I had to break that off and say, like, no, this will make my parents happy. This will make me happy. I want to go and I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that was the night that I received the Holy Spirit was when I said, like, I don't care who sees me. I want my dad to be there. I want my grandpa to be there. And that's when the Lord met me there. So it definitely was like this this outworking and putting into practice and still training myself to think differently. Yeah, Yeah, that's really good. It's that perspective of humility, too, I think, that the Lord works with. Um, As for me, definitely was a little bit different. Obviously, coming from a background of even some drug abuse and other things that, honestly, by God's grace, I'm, I'm a very extreme person. I'm either black and white. I'm either like foot on the brake or let's go all the way on the pedal for the gas and, and push forward. And I guess for me, like the transition was was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Friends thought I was crazy. At the time, there's like even a concert going on, the EDC concerts, if you guys know what that is. Those giant raves. And I bought tickets for that months and before, and it was like a $400 ticket. My ticket came in. I invited all my friends to the park, and I set it on fire in front of them. <laughs> like, there's an extreme that happened in my life when, when the Lord took over. But it's found in First Peter 4. Uh, starting in verse 3, it says, You have had enough in the past of evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality, lust, their feasting, drunkenness, wild parties. It says, Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into those things, so they slandered you. So I guess I definitely took some time, and it was awkward at first. But for me, and maybe some people who are listening, like the relapse is, is real. And maybe you've had times where you're like, All right, I'm giving everything to the Lord. You meet him at an altar. You walk away and slowly you get back on that same path. So, I mean, you might disagree with what I'm saying now, which is totally fine. But for me, I believe the Lord allowed me in a season like Job, where I actually, right after I got saved, I gave my life to the Lord to prevent me from going back. I believe the Lord allowed some dysfunction in my body. And at that moment or in that time, I started having, uh, I have scoliosis. So my spine was really crooked and it got to a point where it was so bad that it was putting so much pressure on my chest that I couldn't take deep breaths. I can barely actually breathe. I went to heart doctors, lung doctors. I went everywhere. No one can figure out what was going on. And I think for the first three months, literally all I can do, I was not in school. I had no job. I had no friends. I was sick now. All I did was read the New Testament and pray. Hmm. Wow. It was nonstop for three months. And the fear of the Lord that I had in me, not only just from that night at the rave, but also afterward, you know, because I made a commitment to the Lord. I said, if you save me, I'll give my life to you. But once you start drifting away from that, the Lord has authority kind of bring you back if you yeah. give that to him. So I thank the Lord for that sickness in those three months because it, it put such deep roots in me 
I think I finished the New Testament in like two months or something because I just blasted through it. And it allowed me to develop at least roots to that, that can start growing, going deeper, so that when those thoughts came, I knew how to actually fight them. So, I mean, again, some people might disagree with that, but I believe uh, according to Hebrews 12, he disciplines those whom he loves. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if he if you are an illegitimate child, he cannot discipline you, but because he belongs to you and you belong to him, he has every right to move in your life as you please. The goal is not my not my not my health, it's not my money, it's not all these things. God's main goal in the life of a believer is to be made into the image of the Father. Amen. No matter what. Amen. If you disagree with that, let's go back to scripture. I'll talk to you all day on that. His goal is for me to be like him Um, and that process took a while but I'm thankful for it because it it got me to where I am today and yeah obviously those thoughts were hard at times you know I was a a heavy smoker you know I I was smoking a lot and then to transition from that and then I had the problems where actually I couldn't breathe with my lungs Mm. so it's actually like in a forte God gave me like a sense of do you want this type of life life not to be able to breathe and I said I, I knew me like I had friends who were into alcohol others who were into pills for me my weakest point was cigarettes and, and weed and smoking so to go through that it got me to a point where I said I never want to put anything in my mouth that will mess up my lungs again so it wasn't necessarily that those things messed me up and that's what was happening it was a different way that God got me to see I guess even prophetically in a sense, like stay away from those things. And it's been seven years, I haven't touched alcohol, drugs, cigarettes, anything since that. And it's all glory to God. But he takes extreme measures for extreme situations. Mm -hmm. And I think it is personality. Like you were saying, you're Mm -hmm. like, I have the personality that it's like, if I'm all in, I'm all in. If, Mm -hmm. and I think there might be some people, I don't know. It's like some people probably came back to the Lord and were not able to Stick it out and say, no, no more drugs, no more mm-hmm. whatever. And it might have been a process of, okay, shoot, I fell again. Let me get back up. Let me get back up. Yeah. 100%. And there's, I mean, there's other things in my life that I, I dealt with mm-hmm. that very thing. It's not like, oh man, overnight something happened. But I believe God did take those things away out of the, through the fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mom has a prayer group, uh, Sisters in Action. Sh- shout out to them. They've been going <laughs> strong for over 10 years praying Amen. for their sons and daughters and those who are not walking with the Lord. And she had a prophetic word, or at least a word in that meeting. <laughs> do it. Okay. Do it. I do this all the time. All our best interviews have tears. It's all good. <laughs> and you can use it. I'll, I need I need people to see the, the rawness of this, too, because it's not just an emotional thing, but things hit you differently when it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And there was a word in that, in that prayer meeting months before I even got saved. And one of the words for that group said, I will place the fear of the Lord in your sons so that they will turn back to God. It's okay, Praise God. For me, it was the fear of God that brought me to him, but it was Romans 2, 4 that kept me in him. It says the love of God draws you to repentance. So it was the fear of God that brought me to him, but his sustained love, his gentleness, his peace, Mm. his tranquility, his, his restfulness in my life afterward, right? He is the one who throws a blow, but he's also the one who mends. Mm. So he does instill the fear of the Lord in people, but he also brings the love of God to saturate them after. So yeah, for me, it was the fear of the Lord that brought me back, but it was the love of God that kept me back. Praise God. In terms of those health problems that you were having, how did they, do you still have them? Did they go away? How did I mean, that? I mean, occasionally, I, I guess to the end of it, like some, some doctors told me like, stop lifting heavy weights, you know, <laughs> stop doing like stupid things, you know, like boys are always trying to get a new personal record and, <laughs> you know, God really stripped me of everything. And I mean, everything like guys, there are so many idols in our life. And I know we're going a different direction right now for Sorry. a moment, but there are so many things. It's not just drugs or alcohol, or whatever it is, or, or, you know. Uh, bitterness like Rebecca was saying in your life that keep you from God 
If you want God to intervene in your life, you are giving him full autonomy and authority to take everything from your life that takes place in your heart from him. Because after I gave my life to God, I I try to busy myself with activities, busy myself with hobbies. And one by one, God started to strip that so I can come back to simple things like prayer and the word. Because his goal was not to just pull me from that rave. His goal was to transform me from a Saul to a Paul, to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And like he says in 1 Timothy 1, I was the worst of the worst, but God had mercy on me so that I might proclaim to others that God will have mercy on them. Yes. And that is why I stand before this microphone seven years later to proclaim that God is still having mercy on those who are listening. Maybe some of you are saying, I don't even know why this podcast is on in my car. I don't even know how I ended up on it. I'll tell you how you ended up. The prayers of your parents for those who are looking out for you. God sees you and wants to use you. He has power and authority to transform your life. And he's looking for a next generation who will say, I don't want this life. I want the will of God for my life. And it might take a moment like this for you to listen to a story like this for you to say, I've had enough. And I can guarantee you that God will transform you and use you for his glory. He promised me, actually, even while I was in the world, he showed me a vision. And I know this might sound crazy because I was I was high as a kite on marijuana. Okay. And I was smoking this thing. And I, I saw a vision of me preaching on stage at Emmanuel Church. Wow. Okay. And in my head, I'm thinking, man, this is some really strong weed. What am I, <laughs> what am I seeing right now? Okay. And then years passed by or whenever it happened. And I got saved and I said, God, what church do I go to? Mm-hmm. And automatically, I didn't even have to think about it. I was one of those guys that hopped to every church, tried every church service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, suit, jeans, whatever it is. I've been to all of them. I was one of those who had no place, didn't know where my place was. So because I had that vision, that night when I got saved, I said, I know exactly where I'm going. Wow. Okay? Week one, I thought I was going to get on stage and preach. (laughs) No. I sat behind that sound booth for three years, three and a half years. Like, Lord, what what was that vision? Mm -hmm. It wasn't until maybe four or five years later that I remember I was preaching at a revive and I completely forgot about this vision. And then that moment, God showed me it. And on stage, I started tearing up because I remembered the vision that God showed me. Just because you're far away from God and consumed with things of this world does not mean that the barriers are strong enough to keep the Holy Spirit from you. He can still speak to you. Some of you who are high right now listening to this, have seen things from the Lord that he wants to do through you, giving you vision and dreams and ideas of how to progress the kingdom of God. And you're thinking that is impossible. I'm prophesying to you that you will do it if you step out on the water. If you choose to say, God, I turn my life to you. God's sovereignty works with free will. I'm sorry, we're kind of getting off topic. but Anyway, give your life to God. (laughs) (laughs) Can you repeat that just because you're far away from God? Just because you're far away from God, the barriers are not going to keep God away from you, in a sense. God God can still move prophetically to you because even if you're drunk, you think alcohol is too strong to keep God away from speaking to you, right? Do you think drugs are too Mm -hmm. strong to keep God? Bitterness is too strong. Mm -hmm. God will continue to speak to you until you stop, until there's a point where you will reject him and get to the point where he can no longer reach you. But if your heart is still getting drawn, even while you're in the midst of this lifestyle, God can still reach you. Amen. Amen. Keep your heart open. How did you grow in like hearing the voice of the Lord? Because oh, I know man. a lot of people probably have a hard time. But how do I know it's God? Like, how do I know it's not me? Like, okay, mm-hmm. of course, like when you're high drunk, even that you knew that God was in a way that God was speaking to you. And I've heard this before. Like I've heard testimonies yeah. of people who were like high as a kite and <laughs> God was literally speaking to them. I, I don't, I didn't know it was God at the time. That is true. actually. Okay. But if we're asking how to hear the voice of the Lord, I'm probably the wrong person to ask. I ask myself <laughs> this question every week. This is probably the toughest 
toughest question to ask a believer. How do you hear the voice of God? I don't know. Something you learn. It's ongoing. Like, I don't think any of us are going to be perfect at it. And the more you learn and grow with the Lord, the more you're able to discern what the voice of God is. But yeah, we're by no means 100%. Perfect. If you're not in your word and in prayer, don't expect God to speak you any other way. If you're waiting for a prophetic word, but you're not reading your word, humble yourself. Get back to the prayer closet. Get on your knees. Get in silence. Actually, let's go to this topic. Yeah. Now. Well, I'd love the tr- this transition just because before this podcast releases, we're going to have two other episodes released on the topic of prayer, on the topic of personal revival. And tied to that is hearing God's voice. And that does come in the intimate moments. So I want us to transition to this because I know this is something that you have on your heart and I just love how that theme is continuing. It's Holy Amen. Spirit speaking the same thing to all of us. And we didn't even know it until we asked you, what do you want to talk about? And we're like, yes, all in one accord. Praise God. Amen. So yeah, let's get the ball rolling. Yeah. So for you guys tuning in, we're going to we're gonna dive into prayer and just preface again, not that we have achieved the goal or gotten there. I'm not here saying like, guys, check out this formula that I have so you can start praying. My spark to re-engage with prayer actually stemmed from me vul- being vulnerable with Anthony Derechki and Adrian Yankish and telling them, my prayer life sucks. <laughs> so I don't know about you guys who are, who are out there and you have a strong prayer life. Good for you. That's amazing. Keep it going. But realistically, the people I talk to, they don't have a very strong prayer life. And a weak prayer life causes a weak Christian. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you want to be used by God and you don't have a strong prayer life, you're kidding yourself and you're wasting your time. If you have your word... I'm not preaching, but if you have your word out there and you want to follow along, we're going to be getting Matthew 6, 6. We're going back to the Beatitudes. Uh, That's where it stems from. Just dive into this. Sit here for a couple months. There's so much gold in these few chapters. Matthew 6, 6, it says, But as for you, when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, command of Christ, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So, Again, I guess the topic I want to hit tonight, if we can get in discussion, it's not prayer necessarily, but it's back to secret prayer. Mm-hmm. And I believe this is a very uh, interesting topic because we avoid it. Mm. Uh, common day Christians, I believe, in this century now have done everything and anything to pray except for private prayer. Yeah. I pray on a walk. I pray when I drive. I pray when I work out. I pray at school. Praise the Lord. Honestly, but if you're not spending time in intimate prayer, coming back to the formula of what Jesus just told us, then something is missing profoundly in your life. Mm. Uh, Jesus says, when you pray, go into your inner room. And the inner room, the Greek word here is tameon, if I'm saying that right. But basically, this is an inner room, a secret room. And a good way to point this or translate it is inner chamber. So it's a room within a room. Mm-hmm. And you cannot escape that room unless by going through another room, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of rooms yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. Right? It's inception. So, <laughs> so this inner room or this inner chamber, it's defined as a room used for a special occasion, a special purpose. Again, something that we've trampled on many times where we don't have consecrated things unto the Lord, where everything is fly. I can do what I want when, the, when I want with the Lord. Uh, I believe God is calling us back to an intimacy, a deep place of uh, sensitivity to Him. And I guess this depiction, what I, what I get from this depiction of an inner room it foreshadows the necessity of privacy. You see, intimacy, and I'm using air quotes here. Intimacy without privacy is a formality. You cannot have intimacy without privacy. Mm. 
If you're getting married and you get to know someone, I get to know Rebecca. I can't take our relationship out to the whole church for them to deal with all our problems. I can't take everything that we need to discuss privately in in a formal matter out for everyone to see. See, it's... Is just a thing that we do as a requirement or etiquette or regulation or custom, but we need to come back to a place where it's something I'm desperate for, not something I need to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think, you know, as a Romanian community, we are very good, like a Romanian Pentecostal community, we're very good at in common prayers, Mm -hmm. common prayers. So everybody knows you come to church, we have our prayer time, and everybody prays together. And everybody's used to that. So it's like, I find it, people are more used to coming to a Tuesday night prayer, a Thursday night prayer, a Sunday morning prayer than to sit alone in your room. Mm. I feel like it's harder for you to sit alone in your room than to come to church and do it together as a church. And it's funny because like sometimes we would sit there at prayer and we'd be like, oh, why is it so dead? Like, why is prayer so dead? And it's like, duh, because nobody's praying at home. And I'm telling this myself because I was part of that. It's because we're not praying yeah. at home. That's why you get to church and you have to, you know, by the third, fourth prayer, it's like, okay, things are working. Like you feel like, okay, the spirit is moving. Everybody got rid of their stuff <laughs> instead of getting rid of the stuff at home and then getting to the church yeah. and literally just being on fire for the Lord. No, right on. Leonard Raven has a quote on this too. He says, powerful public prayer stems out from deep intimate prayer like if you hear someone in church praying boldly powerfully i I guarantee you that didn't stem there Mm. it it came from somewhere else and it progressed out in public afterward but exactly like you're saying you know and if it's quiet we pray quietly if it's loud we can pray loud (laughs) can you really be intimate in like a congregation to the point you can if you're maybe if you're quiet you know to the point of you're like spilling everything that's in your heart and you Mm -hmm. can if you're quiet but i think with common prayers at church or Mm -hmm. whatnot many times we can pray certain things remember bible verses we know you know but you're not dealing with like the deepest parts of your heart Mm -hmm. because that's not the place for it what's Mm -hmm. intimate is intimate what's sacred sacred and like those things do have to be dealt with individually and obviously the in other ways too but no you hit the nail on the head where you said it's not the place for it and someone who's in deep connection with the lord yeah at times you will overflow mm-hmm. in a public setting and i've caught myself even at church like okay i maybe need to like tone it back a little bit because like <laughs> i get heated or you just start spilling kind of like hannah right hannah's yeah. praying in a public setting she's pouring her out a heart out before the lord and she gets mistaken for being drunk <laughs> you know so yeah at times it will overflow, but it needs to stem from that secret place and, or that prayer closet. And I guess my question or what I want to kind of touch base now is what is a prayer closet? Because at, at times we say, well, my prayer closet's while I'm driving. I, 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 would, <laughs> I would argue against that. Hmm. And I have, I have nothing against that. I think First Thessalonians 5.17, it says, pray unceasingly. Yes. We need to. But we see the example of Jesus. He... he was always in tune with the Father, but he specifically set time aside for it. So I guess my definition of, of prayer clause is something that I came up with that I think might flow. I mean, you guys can chime into this. Is it, A prayer closet is prayer free from interruption, free from distraction, and free from a congregation. So by interruption, I'm, I'm talking about ringing cell phones, people, meetings, emails popping up, you know, things that can interrupt your flow. Yeah. By distraction, I'm talking about surroundings, things that my senses engage with, my eyes, my ears, my nose, things that I see. So that's why I would argue that, you know, driving and walking and things like that is not a prayer closet because, you know, the birds are chiming and then the cars are passing by and then the lights are switching and so you can get distracted. Again, I, I still 
believe I've had some of the deepest moments of prayer in my car. You know, maybe you guys can relate, but when you have a really loud house, sometimes you just got to go sit in your car because you don't have another prayer closet. So it can be if it's intentional or set aside. Uh, but I guess that would be my criteria for a prayer closet. Something that pulls you away from interruption, pulls you away from distraction, and pulls you away from a congregation, a public interaction, friends and family. And I guess a passage that I would come to for that would be Daniel 6.10. Daniel sets the example, I think, for it. It says, he entered into his house. Uh, now known, the house was known for a roof chamber that had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God as he was doing previously. The key word here in Daniel 6.10 is the roof chamber. Coming back to that inner room meaning. It It was a separate room on top of his roof that he would pray to. And that was a specified room for a specific time of the day, for a specific flow of a week. You know, in fact, people knew Daniel as being in that place regularly. Mm-hmm. Actually, when they came to rat him out and then go to the king, they say, we saw Daniel praying here. So you can you can see that that, that flow of a consistent place. Same with Jesus. If you look, uh, I believe it's John chapter 18, verse 1, where Judas comes with the, with the crowd and says, mm-hmm. Judas knew because he would go to this place regularly with his disciples to pray. So if you ever thought about that, how did the soldiers find Jesus? How did they know where to find him the night he was betrayed? It's because of a familiarity. Yeah. And it's funny, though, because you just think like the whole religious thing, like where we're like, we don't want to be religious. We don't want to be legalistic. We don't want to like because we all kind of like shy away from that. and We want to run away because, you know, we think that that's legalistic. Like if I say I'm going to pray at six o'clock every day, or if I say I'm going to pray at four o'clock every day. Oh, that's legalistic. Like I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I like what you're saying in the sense of like you're bringing it back to it's OK to have a schedule if yeah, you yeah. have a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody says you, you look at the people that have a well-built built schedule because they're busy um you don't go look at them and say you know you are a micromanager you would call them organized and you would call them disciplined yes so i I wouldn't mistake discipline for being religious or being legalistic i think they're two different things and you you need that extreme in order to set yourself up for success come on like all right no one's going to wake up one day and say, I'm just going to start working out every day and I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to start eating healthy and only broccoli. And get out of here, man. <laughs> like, that's a lie. There are times where you're like, I suck. I need to write these things down. I need to see my progression. So actually, if I can back it up just one, mm-hmm. one moment, if that's all right. It was in November of last year. So it was three months ago. I, uh, I was sitting on my sofa late in the middle of the night and I was like, man, my prayer life sucks. It was like right after I had that conversation with Adrian and Anthony. Anthony. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. So I saw this book on my bookshelf, Circle It With Prayer or something along that Circle line. Maker? Circle Maker. Yeah, I can attach it. I was reading through that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so actually Justin Bedding Day gave me that book years ago. It's been sitting on my shelf, but God knows when a book needs to come into your life. <laughs> yeah, Hallelujah. So you, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. So I, I was like, let me just see what this says. And I flipped it open to a random page. And the first sentence I saw was, this man was so disturbed with how bad his prayer life was <laughs> that like, and then I, I was like, all right, this is for me right now. Like, thank you, so then I started going through it. And one of the things was like to document your prayer life, you know? So actually I have a documentation here because I was doing like this kind of like this fast late last year where the Lord's like strip everything, strip YouTube, take away any distractions and just focus on prayer for 40 days. Okay. And the challenge was this 30 minutes a day for 40 days of prayer. It did not go well. <laughs> Okay, I got very distracted. I was on my phone a lot. I was doing things I shouldn't have. My wife is right here to attest for it, right? And I looked back at those days and I started counting the days. And out of 40, I hit 20. 
Okay? And this is not for me to say, oh, look at me for prayer. Guys, I'm just giving you an example and, and sharing my heart. 20 of the 40 days, that is an F in the standard of school. Okay? <laughs> but I was thinking about it, and the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, that F, that 50% F is better than a 0% F. You're still working your way up. And I started examining that, and I kept pressing. So then after that 40 days, I did a Daniel fast, which is kind of funny now because of this. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. And that Daniel fast was set apart just so I can continue persistent in prayer. Again, coming back to 30 minutes a day. And at that time, I, I, I don't know, I, I had my phone in front of me, but I think it was like, like 60, 70% now where I'm, I'm hitting the goal. And this isn't to show anything and to say like, look at me. But for me, I needed the extreme of writing the date down, writing what time I prayed, 6.20 to 6.40 a.m., 7.15 to 7.45 mm-hmm. Last night was 1.50 to 2.20 in the morning. And I'll be vulnerable. Last night, I was online shopping until 1 in the morning. Okay? And if... Yeah. If, okay. I was like, man, I feel so bad for it. I don't know why I did that. Stupid shoes. <laughs> okay, it's not just girls that online shop. All right, so I was online shopping for a pair of shoes. And I was like, how did it get to 1.30 in the morning? You know exactly what I'm talking about. And I was about to get in bed. And the Lord's like, you're going to go to bed? You didn't even pray yet. So in my head, I was like, I don't care if I die on my knees right now. I am not getting up. Even if I fall asleep, I will fall asleep on my knees. Mm. There needs to be a moment in our life where we are so convicted, so desperate, so energized by conviction through the Holy Spirit that we are willing to fall asleep and die (laughs) than to go to sleep. And and, And there's a book I highly recommend. It's called Power Through Prayer by Ian Bounds. It shook me this month as we were praying and fasting with the church. I read it. I got so convicted about over 20 copies and handed it to anyone I can think of that needs to spice up their prayer life or who stands at a pulpit. And one of the, one of the quotes that he says, Ian Bounds, he talks about people who are praying. He says, no man gets God who does not follow hard after him. Yeah. And no soul follows hard after God without being after him early in the morning. Wow. So he talked about this persistence of waking up before any distraction, any voice, any job, any email, any text, any distraction throughout your day and seeking God first. And that really convicted me because I would get convicted to wake up at four or five in the morning and pray and I would flip over and flip over and flip over until a point where I was like, I need to get up and pray. And I, I can't explain what happened, but when you're praying in the middle of the night, and coming back again to that prayer closet, this is an example uh, example of Jesus' life. Yeah. If you look throughout Scripture, one of the things we're talking about, how to hear the voice of the Lord. More than that bothering me, one of the biggest things in the Bible that bothers me is how did he do it? Mm-hmm. Okay? You are feeding 5,000 plus people a day. You're healing every person that comes to you. You're casting out demons. You're sleeping on a rock. Okay? You're not even like in a bougie mattress, like showered up after the day. Come on. <laughs> Okay, his sandals are dirty, he's laying down in bed. Foxes have holes, dens, you know, all, all that thing he talks about, all right? And then he says, okay, see you guys in the morning, I'm gonna go pray for eight hours. That makes no logical sense to me. But if he's tapping into that, there's a reason why he's tapping into that. Jesus was 100% God and 100% human. Yeah. The same way we have a struggle, we feel we cannot deal with something. We feel we cannot hear God. We feel we cannot progress in something. I believe Jesus had that same agony at times. Mm-hmm. Why does he say on the cross? Why have you abandoned me? He felt abandoned. He felt like God wasn't hearing him. So I believe that the ticket, the power was in the 
the systematic prayer in the morning before anything else. He needed that intimacy. And if you look at it, he always leaves the 12 behind and goes up to pray in the middle of the night. And it was in a specific location. He was known to be praying at the Mount of Olives. That was his 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 joint, his place. Like you knew where, oh yeah, 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. I'm gonna be there if you will find me. And if I can just tap into a couple things here, all right? Why we should see God early in the morning. Number one, it is dead silent. In your head and in the real world. Because mm-hmm. I honestly noticed that. I'm just going to tag on to that really quick. It's like at night, everything you did in that day is running through your mind. In the morning, it's like <laughs> clean slate. Let's go. I'd rather be half asleep and have my mind empty than yes. not be able to sleep and be thinking about everything and trying to pray. It's not going to go anywhere. Exactly. Not, so, not that it's not going to go anywhere. It's just, it's a lot harder to fight through it. Yeah. And, and I'll just come back to some verses. Psalm 62, 5, my soul wait in silence for God alone. Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you, but you must keep silent. Isaiah 41, verse 1, listen to me in silence and let the people gain new strength. Mm-hmm. There is a key, something that Jesus taps into, teaches his followers, teaches his disciples, right? Uh, about prayer in silence. And that's where contemplation comes into play too. I don't think prayer just means I need to talk until I can't talk anymore. Some of the strongest prayers I've had with God were no prayers at all. It was me just being silent on my knees before him. It's as if my heart was being poured out before God. Tears were coming out. I didn't say a word and now to go to sleep with peace. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know how you guys are. Um, pulling another verse out, I was thinking of Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I think sometimes we're so busy in our prayer times, busy talking and talking and talking that we're not, we don't wait and we don't wait for him to come. Because there is, I think, a shift that happens where you've finally broken through, you've prayed for everything you can think (laughs) of, and usually that's where we end prayer. But I actually think the key comes on waiting for the Lord now to come in and having him be like, okay, is it my turn now? <laughs> but sometimes we cut it off too quickly. And I love what you're saying about the time because uh, giving it, giving the Lord time, giving Holy Spirit time to come and finally say, okay, here, here I am. Now let's spend some time in intimacy in that quiet. My soul waits for the Lord, you know? Well, that's, that's right on. Coming back to the voice of the Lord. You cannot hear the voice of the Lord when your mind is infiltrated with a hundred other voices. Yeah. How, okay, we're saying, how do I discern the Lord's voice? Take every other voice out. How do you do that? Get silent. How do you do that? Wake up early. <laughs> and I'm not saying I've achieved this. I still like snooze. But there are times where, you know, but that, that fight is there now. And like Rafi was saying, wait on the Lord. In those moments of silence, and I, I can guarantee you this, try it for yourself. You will hear God's voice. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. You will sit in silence and you'll feel an unction, a voice, a leading, something that you've been praying for. And then it's like, don't do that. And you're like, why am I being told not to do this now? Or, you know, you're thinking about buying something or a house or something. And all of a sudden you feel like, don't do that. That's not the right time for it. And you're like, wow, I can, I can hear clearer now. And you're ciphering through that. So I think Jesus went up to the mountain, number one, because it was silent. Everyone else is sleeping. First Thessalonians chapter five talks about this. It says, nighttime is the time for drunkards to get drunk for people to sleep. Dang. So there's really two things going on. Either you're partying, which is a con- congested amount of people, or you're asleep. The function of life of society is people are knocked out. <laughs> and in that moment, you're not really hearing things. You're not distracted. You don't have the rat race going on. 
Hi everyone, this is Rafaela. Just letting you know that this is the end of part one of our conversation with Andrew and Rebecca. We are so looking forward to having them come back next time for the remainder of the conversation. In the meantime, we want to let all of our listeners know that if you have any comments, questions, things you want to talk to us about, email us at contact at timeforthesoul.co. Follow us on Instagram, Time for the Soul Podcast. And please, if you like this podcast, leave us a review on Spotify, Apple iTunes, everything helps. All right, until next time. <laughs>